So, Lord, we just pray that your word would come to us in a wonderful way, Lord, in a refreshing way, Lord, in a truthful way. Thank you, God. Lord, help preconceived religious notions to be uh, shattered, Lord, through your word tonight. God, so much of our, our discouragement, so much of our despair comes because we don't fully understand the truth of the word of God. Lord, if we understood it, uh, and I speaking to myself, Lord, I wouldn't be discouraged like I get sometimes, Lord. I wouldn't despair as I do sometimes. I wouldn't be depressed as I am sometimes. Lord, help us to understand the truth of the word of God because it will literally shatter all the, all the lies and the threats, Lord, that, uh, that try to pull us down. So we thank you, Jesus, for it. In your name I pray. Amen. This is what I'm going to share with you tonight is something that has been helping me so, 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 so much. And I hope that it helps you so, so, so much. I've alluded to it. Um, I've mentioned it a couple of times. But now tonight we're just going to focus in on it. And uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be a blessing. It's going to be powerful. Um, and it all surrounds this. John, one of the 12 disciples, uh, he described himself in kind of a third person as the disciple who Jesus loved. John described himself, not someone else. It wasn't his wife describing him this way. It wasn't his uncle, his aunt, his parents. He himself described himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Wow. Some people would say, well, that seems kind of prideful. Uh, that seems kind of boastful. But you know what? It's the way God intended us to view ourselves. God intended us to look at ourselves and say, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm the one that Jesus loves. And it just amazes me how uh, all of God's love, 100% of God's love is on me. And at the same time, 100% of God's love simultaneously is on Christy. And then the same 100% of love is focused on Miwa, on Sophia, on Sarah, on Cole. Isn't that amazing? He didn't take his love and divvy it up and give a piece to Jimmy and say, okay, Jimmy's a pretty good guy. I'll give him, uh, you know, there's millions of people, so I'm going to give him a fraction of my love. And I'm going to give a fraction of my... No, he gives all his love as if you were the only person in the whole wide world. He gives all his love to you. And he says, please tell me that you acknowledge that I love you. Please walk around like I, I am God's favorite. I am the one that God loves. Please walk around that way. And you know what? God looks over the whole earth and he only finds a handful of people that capture this principle. And those people live under the blessing and the grace of God. And all the rest of us are out on the fringes when we could be living in the center of God's love, of God's grace, of God's blessing. Why do we not do it? What, what keeps us from enjoying all of God's love? That he, We should be walking around the grocery store saying, I am the one that God loves. We should be walking into work, looking at our boss, looking at the people we work with and saying, I 
am the one that God loves. We should be going in to do our whatever our errands and thinking all the while, I am the one that God loves. There's nothing that can separate me from God's love. He loves me so much. I am God's favorite. We need to be saying that all the time. I am God's favorite. I am the one that God loves. So this truth needs to get inside of us. That's the problem. It needs to get into our hearts, not just in our heads, not just in our mouths. It needs to get deep, deep down into our hearts. And when it does, it will establish God's destiny for our lives. God's destiny, I don't believe, can be fully accomplished in any one of us until we receive the full amount and measure of God's love in our lives and our hearts. We've got to get to that place. And so I find that there are five, I hope I'm not wrong about this, but when I read the Bible, I find five places where John refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Five places. And in each of these, if we read the story surrounding each of these five uh, places where, where we see that John was the one that Jesus loved, we find some really incredible benefits to living this way. So I want to share with you five significant benefits from, ta- from adopting this way, this mentality, this attitude, this way of living, because it's a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle. This isn't just a word for the week. This isn't something that's just going to help you this, you know, this coming week. No, this is a way to live from here on out. And once you get the benefits from it, you'll want to live this way. But before we jump into these five, these five kind of stories and, and five benefits, we see in John 15, 9, that here again, John talked about love all the time. Did you notice that? He probably talked about love more than any other writer. He seemed to understand it better than just about anybody else. But in, in John 15, 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Now, remain in my love. Remain in my love. We talked a little bit about this, I believe, last Sunday night. we got to stay under God's love, in God's love. We need to jump into the ocean of God's love and drown in God's love and never get out again. We need to jump into the flow of God's love like a river and never get close to the shore and just let God's love just push us down that river, flowing in the love of God everywhere we go and say, I'm never, ever going to get out of God's love. I'm going to stay in here until I can't swim anymore. And when I drown, praise God, I'll go to heaven and then I'll be able to swim in it without drowning. That's how we need to be. It says, remain in my love. We need to jump into it and never, ever, ever get out of it. Listen to this. Good things happen to people who believe that they're the ones that Jesus loves. You want good things to happen in your life? Visible, tangible blessings? You start walking around and declaring, I am the one that God loves. Live that way. Believe it. Talk about it. Encourage yourself with it. And good things things are going to happen. Unbelievably good things are going to happen to you if you do this. Look at a couple of these other scriptures. Romans 5.5. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into 
our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We've got to let God not pour his love over us, but pour his love into us. We're always wanting God's love, but we won't open our hearts to him so that he can pour it into our hearts. Once it gets inside of us, everything changes. First John, it was funny as I was just kind of basking in this about four or five weeks ago, I kept getting these scriptures, reminder scriptures that I'd read. And I was like, where is that? And I'd look it up. And it was in 1 John 4. And then I'd think of another scripture. Oh, that's so cool. Where is that? It was in 1 John 4. And then I'd think of another cool scripture. Oh, that's so awesome. I'd look it up. It's in 1 John 4. So I thought, I need to read 1 John 4. This thing is full of the love of God. Listen to some of these scriptures. And so we know, I love this. This was one, picture this. I'm laying there on a Saturday morning, just, oh, just loving this truth that's come to me. And this, this memory comes to me of this verse. So we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We know it because it's gotten into our hearts. If it hasn't gotten into your heart, you don't know it. If I'm talking to you about the love of God right now and you're not excited about it, it hasn't gotten into your heart yet. It hasn't gotten into your heart yet. You need to let it be poured into your heart. But it says, we know and we rely. And I was just thinking, oh, man, I want, I, I'm relying. I can feel myself leaning on the love of God right now. I'm loving this. I'm eating this up. I'm, I'm enjoying this. I know and I rely on the love of God that he has on me. What? God is love. Whoever lo- lives in love lives in God. Praise, jump into the ocean, the endless, infinite ocean of his love and decide I'm never getting out of this love ever again. I'm staying here. Even if I do something horrible, I'm going to stay in his love. And it's like I say, I'll drown in if I have to. But here's another 1 John 4 scripture about love. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And I'll add this word first. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let me tell you what, this, this might sound like it's not biblical. I'm going to stop worrying so much about proving my love to God, and I'm just going to accept his love for me. All right? God, as much love as you pour into me, that's how much love I can give back to you. But it comes first from you to me. This is love that he loved me when I was really a rotten person, when I was doing all the wrong things, when I hadn't proved a single solitary thing to God. So why on earth do I think he would stop loving me now if I mess up yet again? If he loved me when I had my, I was an enemy to God, as the Bible says, an enemy to God, that's when he loved me. What makes me think that if I stub my toe tomorrow doing something wrong, that he's going to stop loving me? No, absolutely not. Live in God's love. This is love that he loved me first. Pondered that scripture. And then, uh, actually, before I read another scripture there in 1 John 14, here's a couple of thoughts about that. In 1 John, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13, I read this, this set of scriptures like I'd never read it before. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love... I'm only a sounding gong or, or a clanging cymbal. If, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have faith, it can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And all this time I've thought, and I don't show love, I don't give love, but it says I don't have love. To have something means it was given to you. It was given to you. And so, yes, I need faith, but I need God's love first. <laughs> I need passion for the, for the kingdom of heaven, but I need God's love first. I need to be able to move mountains, but I need to receive. I need to have God's love first. All right? Receive God's love. Receive God's love. Yes, we need to love the Lord God with all our heart. But you know what? Before you love God, you've got to be loved by God. You need to receive love, his love over and over and over and over. Endless love. Endless love. And you know what? When you, lo- when you receive God's love, you will love other people. Stop trying to manufacture love for someone who's unlovable and receive God's love first. And love will come naturally to love this person, that person, the other. Stop trying to love and start being loved. Start being loved. You know what? We should brag about how much God loves us, not about how much we love God. (laughs) Brag about God loves me the mostest. He loves me the mostest. All right? Don't brag about how much you love. Brag about how much he loves you. Look at Peter and and John. I think I gave this example a while back. But you know what? Peter was in front of Jesus, and Jesus said, you know what? Uh, You're going to deny me three times. He said, no, I will never leave you. He was saying, I love you, Jesus, more than anybody else. I will never desert you. I'll never leave you. And here's John, all relaxed and noodly. He's not trying to prove anything. He says, I'm just the one that God loves. I'm just the one that Jesus loves. Guess who denied Jesus and guess who was found at the cross with Jesus? Peter struck out, wasn't found anywhere near the cross. But John was standing right there at the foot of the cross. Visible, so visible that Jesus told him something. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Brag about how much Jesus loves you. Don't try to prove to God how much you love him. Just say, God, I accept your love. I'm the disciple. I'm the person. I'm the man or woman that Jesus loves. So another uh, scripture that came to me as I was thinking about this in 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. There's no fear. When you're that person that jumps into the ocean of God's love, there's no possibility for any fear. It says, if... If you haven't figured this out, I'm paraphrasing, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. They haven't received all the love in their their heart from Jesus. They're fearful. They've closed, somehow closed a part of their heart to the Lord and haven't had the love of God poured into them. And so we need to open ourselves up and say, God, pour your love into me. When you do that, there won't be an ounce of fear left in you. I've I've caught glimpses of this. I I know it to be true. So the the metric, the thermometer here is if you have fear in your life, open your heart up to God's love and say, pour your heart, pour your love into me and I'll receive it. 
In, in John 13, 23, it says one of them. So here goes. Here's the five stories. All right, here's the first one. One of them, in John 13, verse 23, the disciple whom Jesus loved was found reclining next to Jesus. Reclining next to Jesus. And what it was is it's the, it's the Last Supper. And uh, they're all kind of sprawled out there because they're not sitting on chairs. They're kind of leaning once you know, on their elbow and, and eating. And John, of course, the disciple who Jesus loves, is the one closest to Jesus, leaning against Jesus. And that's what happens. When you accept Jesus' love, you're close to him. Jesus knows you're close to him. You know you're close to him. And as we see here, others will also know that you're close to him. Isn't that neat? Because Jesus at this time says, one of you is going to betray me. <laughs> one of you is going to betray me. What does Peter do? He asks John, the one closest to Jesus, hey, ask him who he's talking about. And so John promptly turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, who is it? <laughs> it's one of us 12. He says, it's the one I'm going to dip my bread in this wine vinegar, and whoever I hand it to, that's the one that's going to betray me. Do you see that? Jesus just tells John like it is. He doesn't hide anything. He didn't make it hard or mysterious to understand. He's so close to Jesus, he just gets told the whole thing. And others know, hey, John's the go-to person. If you want to find out what God's plan is and what God's doing, what Jesus is doing, talk to John because he's the one that's closest to Jesus. And John didn't see it that way. He just said, I'm just the one that Jesus loves. I'm just the one that Jesus loves. And so we see in Proverbs 3.32 in the Amplified Version, a wonderful, beautiful description of what it's like to be the disciple that Jesus loves. Proverbs 3.32, again amplified, it says, His confidential communion and secret counsel are with the uncompromisingly righteous. All right? See, Jesus will begin, the Holy Spirit will begin to share with you confidential communion. He will begin to give you secret counsel that you could have never known if you weren't the disciple that Jesus loved. We have to be the one that Jesus loves, and then God begins to share things with us that we may not be able to tell anybody else. Confidential communion, secret counsel. By the way, who is the uncompromisingly righteous? It's the one who refuses to leave God's love no matter what they've done. Did you hear that? Who is the uncompromisingly righteous? It's the one that jumps in the ocean of God's love and says, even if I do something horrific and do something wrong and think a bad thought, say a bad word, speak something wrong, I'm not getting out of this loving ocean of God. I'm not getting out. That's the uncompromisingly righteous. It's not the one that never does anything wrong. It's the one that says, I'm not getting out of God's love. I'm staying here no matter what I think, feel, or do. I'm staying in God's love. So number two, amen, that's right. Number two, look at this. In John 19, we find another little story where John acknowledges he's the one that Jesus loved. When Jesus saw his mother, so Jesus is hanging on the cross, two criminals on either side, thunder, darkness covering uh, Jerusalem, terrible, terrible day. And Jesus sees, as he's hanging there about to die, he sees his mother. He sees Mary standing right there in front of him. 
And he sees the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He sees two people. And he says to his mother, Woman, here is your son. He couldn't point, but she knew that he was talking about John. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from this time on, that disciple took her into his home. That's something. Mary had other sons. <laughs> he was, Jesus wasn't the only son, but here Jesus took what was most valuable to him and said, I entrust it with the one that knows that I love him. He entrusted what was most treasured to him to her. And interestingly enough, from that day forward, she lived with John. All the days of her life, she lived with John. She could have lived with her biological children, but she lived with him. And I find it interesting that when you're the one that Jesus loves and you know it, that what is what is precious to Jesus is attracted to you, is attracted to you. You're not only entrusted with what's precious to Jesus, but with what's precious to Jesus comes naturally to you because it's attracted to you because you know you're, you're basking in the love of God day in and day out. Nothing can shake you, nothing. And what is precious to God just comes naturally to you. I think that's such a blessing. I'm not going to expound on that anymore. I want you to meditate on that. I want you to think about that because that could mean something different to each and every one of us. But let the Holy Spirit minister to you in that. The third story that I see here is in John 20. And uh, here Jesus has already died. It's the first day of the week, meaning it's the third, uh, the third morning there after, uh, not the third morning, but the, the th- three days uh, after he's passed on. And early in the, early in the uh, day of that week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She was apparently the first one to reach the tomb to go look. She saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Which one? Well, it's the one that Jesus loved. (laughs) She came running to Peter and John and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple start towards the tomb, and both are running. But the other disciple outran Peter. And I get something interesting from that. When you're the one that Jesus loves, you hightail it to wherever he is at. You are going to run as fast as you can to get to where he is at. I want to be that kind of person. Guess what? To be that kind of person doesn't take passion, doesn't take, I'm, I'm going to do this. No, it says, I'm just the one that Jesus loves. That's going to produce enough passion to burn a lifetime. If you live this way. And so um, he outruns Peter. He reaches the tomb. He bends over. He looks in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. I love Peter too. I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. He's, there's, no, there's no walls. There's no obstacles for that guy. He just, he's just goes for it. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside and listened to this. He saw and he believed. 
He was the first one to realize Jesus is resurrected. And he never, he didn't see Jesus. He didn't have an apparition. He saw and it came to him. Oh my word, my Savior is alive. He saw and he believed. Let me tell you what, only people who receive the love of God can believe so easily. They just, if you have trouble believing the Lord, you need to just receive God's love. Just receive God's love. Don't try to push your faith and exercise your faith and and make your faith something that it's not. Just receive God's love. You will be able to begin to believe like you've never believed before. He saw and he believed. Well, he didn't see Jesus. He just saw the linens. He just saw what everybody else had seen, but something was different with John. He just believed. Praise God. To see is to perceive, to discern, to know without a shadow of a doubt, to stare at, literally. He saw it means he stared, and he saw through the evidence there that Jesus had been stolen, and he believed that God had resurrected him from the dead. From the dead. All right, number four. In John 21, afterwards, Jesus appeared to his disciples. So now, um, just a little bit of a backstory. Um, Peter, Peter is a real restless kind of person. You know, he's probably had ADD like a lot of us have, just couldn't stay focused. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He knows Peter's already is aware that Jesus is alive. He's already appeared to him. But Peter, he just wasn't satisfied. And so he says, you know what? I'm going fishing. All right. So they all, several of them jump onto a fishing boat. They go out at night. I think probably was the custom back then was to, to, to fish at night. They fished all night long and caught nothing. And, um, and so early in the morning, Jesus appears. It says he stood on the shore. And, uh, but his disciples didn't realize that it was him. All right. He called to them. He said, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. He was the first one to recognize that's Jesus. He's the first one to believe and here he is. He's the first one to recognize Jesus. And so, of course, Peter jumps off. He didn't help anybody bring in the fish. He just jumps in, swims ashore, and gets to Jesus, which is admirable, I think, in and of itself. But, but John was the one. He was the one that recognized Jesus. And I, I remember being in, in our youth group in, in Waxahachie, Texas, close to Dallas. And there's this girl. Her name is Christy. And she always recognized the move of God in services. I distinctly remember all of us were just having a regular youth service, and she said, stop, guys, stop, guys. And we all kind of looked at her. There's probably about 30 of us. She said, God's here. God's here. She said, look at my hand. And it was just trembling. And, and immediately we could all feel the presence of God because she was sensitive to the presence of God. That's how we are. Don't pay attention to the crowd. You sense the presence of God. If you're loved by God, you can usher in the presence of God through your worship, through your sensitivity to the presence of God. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there was this character, Lucy 
Pevensey, I think is how you pronounce her name. And uh, there's, if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan depicts God Almighty in those stories. And Lucy, the youngest of four, she's always the one that's recognizing where Aslan is. And she'd stop and she'd sense, Aslan's close. Aslan's near. Why? She was the one that just enjoyed Aslan's presence. She and her sister Susan, one night, they jumped onto Aslan and they rode. And he rode so fast, they had to hold on to his mane because they were going so fast. There was a girl in that story, she just recognized the presence of God. She recognized, are you that person? Accept the love of God and you'll recognize, you'll be sensitive to when God is present and and when he's moving. I'll never forget another time um, when it it happened to me. (laughs) We're in this airport. This was a long time ago. And um, Tina and I, I'll have to remember, remind you what it was, but we were in this airport and um, her family was in the airport. I think we were picking somebody up. And another family came that I didn't know very well at all. I know, I knew that the man was struggling to even be a Christian. And as he was standing there talking, I could see his hardened face. And I sensed in my spirit, I'm working on that man. I'm, he might look hard on the outside, but I'm working on the inside. Let me tell you what, when you're the one that Jesus loves, he's going to show you stuff. You're going to recognize that God is moving even in the toughest situations, even in the hardest people. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Don't just look at the external. Be sensitive to the move of God, the precious move of his spirit. But fifth and final, here we find in, in the same story, in the same setting, Jesus is restoring Peter because Peter this is Peter denied Jesus. <laughs> He'd ran run off and Jesus begins to talk to Peter and restore him and he says in verse 17 of chapter 21 of of John Jesus says feed my sheep verily verily I tell you that um, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted but when you were older you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this because he was indicating the kind of death that Peter would glorify God with. When he had said to him, then he said to him, Peter, follow me. (laughs) He said, Peter, follow me. Now, Peter does something kind of funny. He turns around and he saw the disciple that Jesus loved, um, uh, whom Jesus loved was following them. And Peter said to him, Lord, what about him? (laughs) He's just... You just told me how I'm going to die. What about that guy over there? (laughs) Isn't that funny? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? (laughs) You must follow me. And I pondered this and meditated on it. And then I began to see things in my own life that I didn't understand. Why do these good things happen to me? I don't deserve this good thing. This is too much for me. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And God began to show me, Steve, if you'll just be the disciple that that I love, I'm going to pour out so much blessing on you, you won't even be able to contain it. It'll look unfair to other people. They'll say, well, why didn't that happen to me? Because you've acknowledged that you're the one that I love. And so whenever we accept God's love like that, listen to this. People who are loved by God and realize it have a very special and privileged things happen to them. 
People who acknowledge that God loves them, they have very special and privileged things happen to them. They are free from the laws of equity, restriction, and comparison. Those words just came to me as I was writing in my journal, just boom, boom, boom. I'll tell you what, he will treat you in a discriminatory fashion. (laughs) He'll set you above other people and you'll say, I don't deserve this. And they'll look up at you and they'll say, you don't deserve this, all right? He will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. And he told John this. He said, if I don't want John to die, I'll break the rules of life and death, and I'll keep him alive if I want to. That's the God that we serve. When we say, I'm the one that Jesus loves, he'll free us from the laws of equity. That means fairness, restriction, and comparison. He'll bless us beyond our wildest dreams. Let me summarize for you. If we're... If we acknowledge that we're the ones that Jesus loves, we jump into the ocean of his love and never get out again, we'll have faith and spiritual vision. We'll have faith. John believed when he saw that tomb was empty. He believed, all right? Secondly, that which is most precious to God will be entrusted to us, and that which is most precious to God will be attracted to us. Thirdly, we'll have confidential communion and secret counsel with the Lord. Fourthly, we'll recognize God's presence when possibly others don't even see it or know it. And finally, we'll have a very special, privileged things happen to us. When we believe God loves us, only good things, well, not only, but good things are going to happen to us. Good things are going to happen to us. I'd like to invite you up to these altars. Tina is going to turn on some music. And maybe if someone could get the lights real quick. I want to...